Is there anyone in any of your rooms? No. I hope I'm alone in here. Do we have a phantom? <laughs> so far as Wouldn't I can Wouldn't that be so cool see. if we had like a like the podcast I mean, ghost? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. I'm Todd Mack, here with Joseph Dorowski, and each week we look at a great character and a great story. Today we're talking about Katniss Everdeen from the 2008 novel The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. Uh, this book, it spent over 100 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, and when the film adaptation was released, it had sold over 17.5 million copies. That seems like a lot for a book. <laughs> Um, and in 2012, Collins was announced as the best-selling Kindle author of all time by Amazon. So it's doing well both in print and as an ebook. And it was one of Publisher Weekly's best books of the year in 2008, and a New York Times notable children's book of 2008. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's called a children's book there, but it's also regu- yeah. <laughs> regularly on the list of the American Library Association's most challenged books. And one of the reasons it's on the most challenged books is because it is labeled as suitable, uh, or material that is not suitable for the age group it's targeting. Yes, I agree. <laughs> How did you come to this work? I think I actually first read this for... My family, for a little while, it, it's been inconsistent, but for a while there, we were having a monthly uh, book club sort of thing where everyone in the family would try and read the same book and we'd have a discussion on an online forum about that book. It, I think, only lasted successfully for about six books and then it's, <laughs> it's petered out. But this was one of the first books that someone selected for it. Maybe it was my sister, Kate. We, we tried to restart that one time and got like two or three more books because the first time I was... I was out of the country oh, yeah. I didn't get to partici- participate and I was a little peeve <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, we did it another time and, and got uh, two or three books out turns of it. out when there's a lot of people it's sometimes hard to even when you want to to participate in something like that I can imagine that the conversations around the Jarowski dinner table uh, the book conversations would be pretty interesting <laughs> this is more of an electronic discussion uh <laughs> Been around a single dinner table since we're spread all over the country. I have this is totally off topic, but I remember watching um, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Maybe that will be one of our a different episode. (laughs) I remember watching that at your house and just hearing the sort of um, conversation, like uh, this, like toss away conversation between your parents and your siblings, and thinking these people are so interesting. (laughs) Like they're just so smart and. Um, to see the world so in such a cool way. Anyway, I loved it. All right, I love your family. I think it's awesome. Todd, how did you come to Hunger Games? So I have a cousin, a cousin-in-law, the wife of my cousin. Her name is Diana, and she worked at uh, Barnes and Noble, and um, she is just really smart and a really great reader. Just real quick, and if anyone is listening to this in a few years. Barnes & Noble was a bookstore. The bookstores were th- places where you could actually go buy physical copies of books. Yeah, Barnes & Noble is going to come back into this conversation in, in a little bit. I have more to say about Barnes & Noble. Just, but- just saying, a, few, a, a listener in a few years might have no idea what Barnes & Noble was. Traveling back in time. Uh, yeah, so Barnes & Noble used to be this great bookstore where you could go and actually um, buy physical copies of books, and it smelled like a coffee house. And Anyway, it was, I just... Uh, so when we have uh, family gatherings, Diana and I usually get together and we ask each other what we've been reading. Um, and she's usually reading some really awesome 
popular thing or something that is really awesome that's going to be popular because it's really great, but people haven't caught on to it yet. I'm usually reading some obscure Spanish novel that nobody's ever heard of. And she goes, I should totally read that. And then <laughs> it's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but she told me, I just, I've been reading this book called The Hunger Games and it is amazing and you've got to read it. And so I picked it up and I got it actually on the, so there was a period of time when there was no clear front runner between Kindle and Nook and, uh, Kobo. That was the reader that was with, uh, Borders books. Another so, previous, ex- previously existing books, book chain. Yeah. That, one, used to be that one doesn't exist now. Barnes and Noble still yeah. exists at the present. There used to be a bookstore called Borders. Anyway, they all had apps for your phone, and you could download books onto them. And there was no clear front runner, so I would sort of uh, take turns downloading books in each of these apps. Um, and I downloaded this one onto my phone on the, on the Nook app, which was the Barnes and Noble one. And I realized now it was a horrible choice because their app is horrific right now. It's terrible. I wish I had a Kindle copy. But I don't. So I read it on my smartphone in like a day or two days. I blew through it um, and really enjoyed it. So that's my uh, that's how I came to it. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So uh, spoiler-free synopsis. Here we go. If you um, have been living a rock on since the year 2008 and you don't know about uh, the Hunger Games, here it is. There is this is in some. Uh, seems to be sort of near-ish future um, in a place that we could sort of recognize as the United States in some kind of post-apocalyptic something or other. Uh, It's a place called Panem now. Um, There's a capital and 12 districts. Um, every, Every year the capital... Uh, there, there has been a war. There was a war 74 years ago, uh, and every year there is uh, a competition in which a, a boy and a girl from each district is called up to go to the capital and participate in what's called the Hunger Games, in which they all have to kill each other. Uh, and whoever the last person is standing uh, wins the Hunger Games. They get to go back to their district and live as kings. Uh, as king or queen for the rest of their days. There, this is the story of a young lady named Katniss Everdeen. She's from District 12, which is a coal mining district. It's very poor. She's a huntress. Uh, she sneaks out of her district into the woods and hunts things. And um, this is the story of her getting sent to the Hunger Games and uh, and her adventures therein. If that sounds interesting to you, uh, check out, we have links in show notes and on our website. Uh, you can go to Amazon and pick up a copy, uh, digital or hard, of The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. And I think you will, uh, I, I hate to say it, like, I think you will enjoy it. Um, but it will certainly should make you think. And you probably won't be able to put it down once you start reading it. All right. So there we go. Yeah. All right. So spoiler zone now. We're going to go have a much more in-depth plot synopsis, and then we'll have a discussion about the character of Katniss Everdeen. So as we said, it's a post-apocalyptic dystopian future, and uh, we meet the character of Katniss, and she is living in a poor district, and throughout uh, this day, we find out it is day of the reaping when the names are going to be selected for something called the Hunger Games, and we find out that Katniss is skilled in hunting. We see her go out hunting with her friend, uh, 
all of a sudden I forgot his name. What's it? Gail. 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 <laughs> so many people are yelling at the podcast right now. Her friend Gail. <laughs> uh, they go out hunting together. We find out that this is one of the main means that she has of uh, caring for her family. Her father's died, and she takes care of her mother and her sister named Prim. And during the reaping though her sister prim is selected to be the female from district 12 that will go to the hunger games and she katniss without even thinking jumps up and volunteers to take prim's place this is allowed within the rules um and then a boy named peter peter malark is peter malark malark is selected to be the male uh candidate from district 12 and then they are swept off to the capital where they're going to be presented to audiences. The Hunger Games are a big cultural event. They're broadcast in its mandatory viewing for all the citizens of Panem. And before the Hunger Games actually start, all of uh, the tributes is what the, the people who have been chosen are called, are shown uh, in various settings so that uh, the citizens and also the betters can get a sense of who these people are so that they'll kill, care more when they're watching and they also know who to bet money on uh, during during the games. And uh, Katniss... By, by betters, you mean gamblers, yes, right? not like okay. superior... Well, I guess... Like like superior people. Because the, the people in the capital... <laughs> the people in the capital think they're the, they're the betters. They do think they are the betters, yeah. But they, they bet. Um, and helping Katniss to prepare is a man named Hamich, who is the only living victor ever from District 12. He's the only one who's ever won from that, that district. And he's uh, he is an alcoholic who can barely stand up. Uh, but he is supposed to help train Kat, Katniss and Peta to be ready to participate in the Hunger Games. And they also have a crew of people who work on their style and clean them up and make them presentable. And there's a man named Cinna who creates outfits for Katniss that make her more memorable. Because part of the Hunger Games is that if you are a crowd favorite, uh, people can actually gather funds and provide... Uh, what's the name for it in the sponsorship? Sponsors, yeah. So they can drop in uh, weapons or medicine or food that you need. Uh, so your sponsors can can help you out during during the games. And the games will be going on for... There's no set time limit. It just goes until there's only one surviving person. So after a few days, you may be in dire need of something. So you want to stand out and be remembered and be a crowd favorite. And Cinna gives Katniss an outfit. And uh, Peta gets a an outfit with the same theme where it looks like they're bursting into fire because they're coming from the coal district and it makes them very memorable. And the crowd already likes her because she volunteered for her, her younger sister, which makes her very likable. And then there are some uh, interviews where a man named Caesar, isn't it Caesar? Yes, Caesar. He uh, wants to get to know all of these and, and let the crowds find out more personal information about all of them. Katniss is not very good at this part of <laughs> of selling herself to the crowds. She's very standoffish and she uh, is is not very good at, at playing a part, I guess. But Peta seems to be a natural. He plays to the crowd very well. And he confesses that he's in love with Katniss, which the you know, the Caesar and the crowds go crazy for this information that there's two tributes from the same district that are in love with each other. Katniss thinks this is a scheme that Hamish has coached Peta's to say this so that they'll be more likable. And then it is time for the games to begin, and they are taking up these tubes, and they stand around 
this giant cornucopia that has all sorts of food and weapons within it. And there are 24 trees, two from uh, each of the 12 districts. And they're all standing there waiting for it to begin. And as soon as it begins, it is just a mad dash slash bloodbath. And she saw arrows, and we know that she's very good at... Uh, shooting things with a bow and arrow, as we saw in the in the early chapters, that she's excellent at hunting, and she actually performed some archery for the game master. So the the game masters also know that she's good with with arrows. But she, I like how you say that, performed some archery. <laughs> yes, she shot at them in a way to intimidate them. Um, but she decides uh, she makes eye contact with Peta, and he's he's signaling for her to not go towards the cornucopia because they know that everyone's going to run towards these, and it's it's just going to be an all out fight. And um, instead of going for the bows and arrows, she grabs a pack that's near her, and then she she takes off uh, running, and someone else uh, comes towards her to fight her, but all of a sudden that person spits blood on her because he's had a knife thrown into his back, uh, and just there's all sorts of death and mayhem, and she runs off into the forest. And in the Hunger Games, every time there's a death, you hear the cannon, uh, so that all of the tributes who are in the field of play know exactly how many are left and every night it actually shows who has died so you, you might hear the cannon and have no idea who died they show that up on the like on a hologram on the roof so so maybe it is domed no they said it's a hovercraft oh it's a hovercraft I, you're right you're right yeah so they like carry a screen got it yes um and in this first bloodbath uh is it like a, almost half of the tributes get killed um yeah i think 11 of them or something 11 on the first day die i believe and the, they say this is you know, she's seen these um, Hunger Games her whole life, and this is always the way it goes on the first day, because they they design it to have this incredibly um, you know violent opening to to grab the audience's attention throughout throughout the districts. And she um, she's avoid she, her strategy at first is just to avoid. Um, and there's a group of tributes that are called the careers who are people who in their districts, they train their whole lives to participate in the hunger games. They volunteer, uh, instead of having to have their names drawn and the, the, tr- uh, the career tributes kind of team up at the beginning with the goal of taking out all of the others, uh, so that in the end it'll just, it'll only be the careers that are left and then they'll fight it out amongst themselves. And um, there comes an evening when Katniss has been treed <laughs> by the careers. They found her, and she's climbed up very high in a tree, and they can't climb up after her, and they're waiting for her to come down. And she looks over, and she sees a little 12-year-old girl named Rue who signals something to her, and she looks around, and she sees that there is a nest of what are called tracker jackers? Tracker? Yep. Tracker yeah. jackers. Yep. Which is, um, you find out that... In this dystopian future, at some point, the government created these mutated creatures that would be helpful for them or more deadly for the citizens. Specifically, they use these tracker jackers to kind of uh, create lines that uh, the citizens in the districts wouldn't cross because the tracker jackers are deadly. They have a venom that makes you hallucinate, and it will kill you very quickly. And so she sees that there's actually tracker jackers nearby in this tree, and she uses the sound of the cannon and the announcements of uh, who has died to start sawing through this branch. So Rue points out those little those tracker jackers to her. That's mm-hmm. so. Yeah, did you mention that? Yes. Oh, okay. So she's able to drop this tracker jacker nest down onto the tributes, and she realizes also that Peta is in amongst the careers, which confuses her, and um, she's she thinks that this is all. It's every person for herself, but she didn't expect Peta to be working with with the careers, even though she knows that she he shouldn't be working with her because this is just every, every person for themselves as far as she's concerned. But the tracker trackers drop down 
and uh, it forces all of the careers to run, but actually kills several uh, or a few of the of the careers that were down there. They get um, shot with the venom, but Katniss herself also gets uh, stung, and she starts to have some hallucinations, and she's not sure what's really happening. And she sees Peta run back and tell her to get out of there, but she's not sure if this is a hallucination or if it's real uh, because she's so <laughs> drugged up. And then she has to curl up for a couple days and let this uh, venom kind of work its way out of her system. But she gets a bow. Oh, that's right. One of the careers that dies had the bow and arrow, and she goes and takes it uh, from that body. So these are Katniss's first kills in it, but it's kind of a secondary way of of taking someone out. Yeah, and Katniss was going to be killed by Cato, but uh, Peta saved her. And it looked, it seemed to her in this kind of hallucinatory state that Peta had uh, stood up against Cato for her to save her, so she could get away. Right, uh, but again, she's questioning if that's really what happened. Um, because she's so drugged up. There's so much that's going on <laughs> to mess with her head. Uh, in the, yeah. she, she has massive dehydration. Um, and through this, she kind of realizes that Hamish is telling her what to do because she knows that he could be helping her, but if he's not, it must mean something. So like when she's uh, almost passing out from dehydration and she, she looks up and begs for water, knowing that he can see that and that he could drop a bottle of water, um, assuming that she has sponsors, which she, she thinks she must have because she knows... Uh, that her her girl on fire routine was so well received, but she thinks, well, if he's not giving me the water, it must mean I'm nearby my source, and it would be a waste to give me the water. And so she, you know, she lurches around until she finds us. So she she has this pseudo communication happening with Hamish. She understands what he's trying to to guide her towards, uh, or she understands Hamish. It seems better than than Peter does. Anyway, after this tracker jacker attack, um, and she she recovers from it, she meets up with Rue again, and they decide to team up. Uh, she, she says, you know, not only the career, the careers aren't the only ones who can team up and they actually try and help each other. And they make this plan to go and destroy the careers resources. They realize the careers, uh, killed everyone else around the cornucopia. And now they have access to all of the weapons and all of the food. So while, um, most, or, you know, half the people are out there struggling to find water and food and they're battling the elements as much as they are each other, the careers, you know, they, they have it pretty comfortable. Actually, they have, shelter and all the resources they need. And then they just go out and hunt the other ones uh, when they see signs of where they are. So whenever they see like a smoke from a fire that's been started, they'll go towards that smoke. And so the Katniss and Rue set up a plan to uh, have Rue set, set some fires around uh, to draw the careers towards that. And Katniss will go try and find a way to destroy their resources. And she realizes when she gets down by the banks of this lake where the cornucopia was that, um, They've actually put landmines all around the corticopia so that no one can approach it unless they know the exact path to take. And Katniss uses her bow and arrow, though, to shoot open a bag of apples, which will then, she's hoping they'll roll around and trigger the landmines and blow everything up, which it does. She gets massively concussed in this process. <laughs> <laughs> like, she, she does it, but <laughs> she can't really enjoy it. She goes deaf in one ear, and uh, she can't think straight. She barely crawls back into the forest before the careers come back. Uh, and, um, she, after she recovers from the concussions, she's trying to find out where Rue is. Uh, she's desperate to, to find her because she realizes that Rue never set the third of the, their trap. She's not sure what's going on. She finds Rue caught in a net and a career. I hate this part. Uh, when, when Katniss is about to cut Rue free, all of a sudden Rue gets hit by a spear and a career has found Rue and, and, uh, in the trap and has, and kills her. And instantly without even thinking, Katniss shoots that career with her bow and arrow. And then as Rue is dying, Katniss sings her a song. Um, and 
there's uh, a moment where normally when there's a death, all the whoever with whoever's still alive, they just got to clear out, and a hovercraft comes in and takes up the dead body. And Katniss decides that she doesn't want Rue to just be taken up uh, as a limp corpse as everyone else is, so she makes a uh, a covering of flowers that she puts on top of Rue, and she kind of gives her a pseudo burial before she leaves, and then lets the hovercraft come. And she sings a song or a tune that Rue taught her that gets picked up by mockingjays, which are these birds that are also mutates that can pick up and imitate human sounds. And they pick up and carry this tune that she uh, sang for Rue. And after this, there's an announcement that any two tributes from the same district could win. Uh, they could be co-champions if they come from the same district. So immediately she starts looking for PETA. Uh, eventually she finds him by basically stepping on him. <laughs> he has covered himself in mud and is in a riverbank. Uh, and he had disguised himself so well that she didn't even see him. But he was attacked uh, back after the Tracker Jacker uh, trick that Katniss played, the other um, one of the career tributes stabbed him in the in the leg or cut him in the leg and it's become super infected and she's got to do um all she can remember from her mom and her sister uh new um kind of uh what's uh, like like herbal healing they were healers yeah they were healers but uh, not like doctors but they would use uh more rural (laughs) methods i guess you would say do healing so she she does what she can with the plants that she can find and um she realizes that she needs to play up the love angle to get better sponsors so that she can get help for PETA. And, um, PETA tells her, you know, at her prompting how he fell in love with her when they were only children. Um, she tells him that she loves him now and, uh, she gives him a kiss and then some medicine comes down from the sky, you know, kind of some soup or is some it soup, soup first comes. or medicine. Doesn't she yeah, get medicine? First says soup. Oh, it's soup. Now he says one kiss is one, one thing of soup. So you got to do way more if you want to get some medicine. Right. Um, so they're playing to the sponsors and she's trying to heal him and, um, you know, days are passing and, uh, a few of the other tributes get picked off in this, but it seems like most of the killing has slowed down and it's basically, she knows at this point it's her and PETA and the careers and a guy named Thresh, right? Yeah. And Thresh is from district 11. Yeah. Fox face. Oh, and Fox face. That's right. So yeah, Thresh is from district 11, which is Rue's district. He's a great big guy. Right. But they, they, nobody's seen him. And they announce that uh, after after a while where no one's been being killed, the Game Masters mix things up and they say that uh, the next day at dawn, there will be something that every single tribute desperately needs to be able to succeed in the game. And it's going to be at the same place. It's going to be at the, the Cornucopia. And so they know, Katniss knows that the medicine she needs for PETA is going to be there, but she also knows every other tribute is probably going to be there, and some of them are going to be waiting to kill people. <laughs> Particularly the yeah, and, and at the this crews. point, Peta is like gone. I yeah. mean, he's going to die. He needs medicine. Like he's got blood poisoning. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he he's telling her that she can't go. Um, and then uh, Hamish drops down some sleeping medicine that's going to just knock him out. And so she gives that to him so that he'll fall asleep, so he won't cause a fuss when she goes. And she goes over to try and get what she needs from. Uh, from the cornucopia, and right when it sounds, uh, Foxface runs out of the cornucopia and grabs what she needed and runs away. And Katniss is like, "I should have thought of that. <laughs> that would have <laughs> that would have been uh, the best plan." Instead, she's looking out and she sees the package that has her district's number on it. She knows it's the medicine, uh, but no one else is moving. She knows everyone else must be around. Uh, finally, she runs out and gets it. And one of the careers, a girl career, 
uh, kind of takes her out and is about to kill her. And she starts taunting her about Rue dying. And all of a sudden, Thresh <laughs> comes up and takes out this career girl. And he says, like, what did you say about that girl, uh, about Rue? Because this is the girl from his district. And it's clear that he, you know, he, he didn't want Rue to die. That he, um, it's, it's in no way, it seems to be romantic love that he had for Rue. But that he loved Rue as a person, as, as a child. And anybody who knows about Rue loves Rue. She's the best. Well, you would hope <laughs> like, so. Like, There's some online reaction that we might need to discuss later about Rue. As, as, a spoiler, as a spoiler, the sequence Joseph talked about where she dies and, and there's the flowers and everything. That's the part of the book where you cry. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he takes out this career girl and he, and then he turns to Katniss. He's like, what happened to Rue? And Katniss explains what happened. And he says, I'm leaving you alive. Now we're even. Like, <laughs> I love how civil that conversation is. Like, <laughs> in the midst of all this stuff, it's like, okay, see, this is, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I love that Thresh has the composure in the middle of all of that to say, okay, right before I kill you, I'm going to give you one chance to tell me what happened to my friend, and Rue. I'm going to believe you, <laughs> and I'm going to believe you immediately <laughs> and let you go. Yeah, there's. It's one of the parts where it kind of like you scratch your head and say, is that how that would have played out? <laughs> yeah <laughs> but anyway okay. he says uh you know we're even now you you t- you did your best to take care of rue uh i'm gonna l- let you live but next time i meet you i'll take you out and and I'll bash your head in with a rock thresh is not one of the careers but he is as strong as any of the careers and he's, he's an intimidating force within this so now katniss runs back and she gives Peter the medicine and she and Peter or Peter recovers and they start to try and make a game plan of how this is all going to play out knowing uh, who's left and they start to do some hunting and gathering. And while Katniss is off hunting, Peter's gathered some berries. Uh, and when Katniss comes back and sees what he's done, she's like, don't eat those. They're, they're poison. They'll, they'll kill you. And he's like, Oh, I didn't know. And then a few minutes, uh, like a minute later, there's a cannon that sounds and they find Foxface has stolen the berries that he was gathering and eaten them thinking they were safe because they were gathering them. So they accidentally killed <laughs> one of the others. Um, and now the games are, uh, the game masters are, are making it like hotter so that everyone dehydrates. They're just trying to force action to happen. And, um, the remaining career and Thresh, how does Thresh get taken out? Thresh dies. They, they just, um, have a cannon right. fire you at don't some find point out exactly and then they what show his to, to Thresh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, for the, all this time that that uh, Peta and Katniss are gathering, they're like, well, "I wonder where Cato is. He must have gone after Thresh because Thresh took Cato's uh, backpack." Oh, right. At the at, at the cornucopia. So he went after. So Cato went after Thresh to get his backpack back, and we assume that that takes these uh, few days while Katniss and Peta are sort of uh, gathering and get, uh, getting their strength back. And so now they know it's Cato and herself and and. Pita and they head towards the lake where it all started, assuming that it will end soon. And they're, they're trying to work out some plan of how they're going to be able to kick, uh, get Kato. And all of a sudden, Kato just comes running out. <laughs> and, and he comes flying past them. He just runs right by them. And they're like, wait, what? And then they see uh, another mutation. Uh, they're, they're calling them mutts. They're these dog-like creatures that are just ferocious and chasing after them. And um, Pita and Katniss and Kato all get on top of the cornucopia and Katniss realizes that not only these like weird wild feral dogs that are terrifying, but they all have like the eyes and uh, the hair of the tributes that have died. So the, the capital has like Frankenstein the other tributes into the, these creatures. Um, There comes a point uh, while they're on top of the cornucopia where uh, Cato, (laughs) let's see, how is it that, um, 
Lupita is holding on to Kato, and Katniss could shoot Kato, but it would mean that Kato and Peta would both fall down to these feral dogs. Because Kato is choking Peta. Yeah, Kato is choking Peta. Then Katniss instead shoots Kato's hand, which lets Peta escape, and he knocks Kato down, and Kato gets dragged away by these feral dogs. And <laughs> it's like all night long they hear Kato... Uh, Cause, dying because slowly. He, in his in his special pack that he got when he killed Thrush, uh, it had body armor, and so his body is protected. So it takes a long, long time for these dogs to finish him off. It's really and in that, horrific. In an act of mercy, uh, Katniss shoots him uh, eventually. She finds a position where she can shoot him, and uh, she expects now the games are going to be over. It's going to be her and Peta that are announced as the winners, and then the game master comes over and says. Uh, we are rescinding that rule. We, we've just, we checked the yeah, rule book. Just kidding. We checked the rule book. We, could, we were not allowed to make that change. Uh, and so uh, Peta and, and Katniss are, look at each other. I guess Kat, uh, Katniss hears something go flying by in the air, and she turns and draws an arrow and puts it at Peta immediately, and she realizes that he was throwing his knife into the water of the lake by you know signaling there's no uh-huh. way I'm going to kill her. It doesn't make her look the best, but <laughs> she immediately threw <laughs> an arrow on him. Uh, but she she then drops her arrow, and they don't know what to do at first. And then Katniss says, we need to eat the poison berries that you found. And Peta, well, Peta has had this, he has this huge bite on his leg. Mm-hmm. And he takes the tourniquet off so that he'll bleed to death. Right. And, and then Katniss says, no, stop, I have another idea. Right. And so then they hold up the berries, and they're both about to eat them. They actually get them into their mouths before all of a sudden there's this desperate cry from the game master. It's like, oh, oh, the, the, <laughs> the revision stands. <laughs> These are our victors. <laughs> we, have, we have two victors this year. Uh, and they get picked up by a hovercraft, and they're both kind of knocked out and taken away to medical. And Katniss gets warned by, by Hamish that uh, the capital is really upset. You showed them up. Like, you... you change the rules of the games in your own favor. And the whole point of the Hunger Games is to exert control over the citizens and prove that the capital is always in control. And you subverted all of that. So you need to be very careful when you do your victory uh, interviews and your announcements. And so when they are being interviewed by Caesar, she really plays up the love angle to make it look like this wasn't a scheme at all, even though you know it was. Like, she was trying to say, how can I bend... For her, it was. Yeah, how can I bend these rules? But she really plays up the love angle, that all this was was a desperate girl that's in love. I was trying to find any way to save herself and her and and the love of her life. And Peta has no trouble playing along. <laughs> and Katniss is like, "Oh, he's such a good actor. He's <laughs> Hamish must have coached him really well." Poor, poor Peta. <laughs> um, you find out that Peta had to have his leg amputated. Um, he has a, a prosthetic leg now. And uh, then it, it kind of ends with them returning back to District 12, and she's thinking, oh, I can finally relax. This is all behind me. But there's this ominous sense that the capital is not done with Katniss and Peeta. The end. Dun-dun-dun! Way to go. If only there was a sequel that could tell us what happened next. If only there were. And three other movies. <laughs> <laughs> Two more votes, but three <laughs> movies. Yeah. Nice job. About uh, 24 minutes. Oh, really? Man, I was, I was hoping for less than 10. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even close. I, uh, I have some thoughts about Katniss. Please share while I about this book. wet my whistle. So I, uh, I read this book w- right when it came out. So it was in 2008 I read it. Um, and then I haven't read it since. I've seen the movie once. I saw the movie in the theaters when it came out. Uh, and since then I haven't read it. Um, until yesterday and today. Um, and I was really impressed with the way that, um, Collins, 
uh, establishes Katniss's character at the very beginning. Um, she is, she's, uh, she's just so like rough around the edges. She wants to drown the Prim's poor cat, and um, there's not a lot of gentleness in Katniss um, at the beginning, uh, and that really stood out to me more. Uh, way more in the book than in the film, um, but she really is. She really is not super likable. Yeah, um, it, I mean, you, you like her because you you know that you're supposed to like her, uh, but she's really she's really rough. She's rough around the edges. Right, and Hamish uh, makes this pretty clear when they're trying to train them at the Capitol. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I can I can work with Peta all day long, but I got nothing. <laughs> like you, you cannot be coached. You cannot make yourself likable. <laughs> yeah. Um. um so that so there's that um and uh so i'm trying to think of specific moments that stand out to me um there are all these kind of moments of transition where you can see katniss uh evolving as a character she's extremely conflicted <laughs> she's very conflicted um she, so I, I don't know that we said it. She's 16 years old. And I think right. when you're reading it, trying to focus on her character specifically, that plays out. Where she doesn't quite understand how to navigate so many of the waters <laughs> in which she finds herself. And she also has the evolving view of what the world is and her place mm-hmm. in the world that an adolescent should be having. Like I think that plays out pretty naturally. Yeah. Um, because Gail, who I think he's two years older, right? Uh, yeah, I think he's 18. At the beginning, he is like he's angry at the Capitol, and he talks about all these plans of how they could take control of their lives and change things, and she seems more just kind of, eh, this, this is my life. Like, I'm, I'm used to what this is. Um, yeah. And so she has no interest in kind of fighting against the system. But you see that change and evolve, and there's these moments where instead of simply reacting to the situation in which she finds herself, Katniss starts to be more of an actor and, and taking uh, a role or, or making a choice. So things like when Rue dies. Yeah. Like up to that point, she's just kind of re- been reacting to everything that happened around her. But this is a moment where she says, I'm not just letting this go as a status quo, how every other body gets taken up by, by the Capitol. It's interesting how she, um, she evolves as a character because exactly what what you said, initially she's reacting to everything and there's a way that you can see, um, so th- there's this, uh, I think they say in the book, the, the danger of hope, right? The, the most dangerous thing for the capital is for anybody in any, any of the districts to have any hope of kind of st- uh, changing status quo. And Katniss, from the, from the moment that she volunteers for Prim, uh, is sort of spitting in the, in the capital's eye, uh, but not really intentionally. She just, <laughs> she just doesn't want Prim to go to the capital and get killed. And so she volunteers. Um, and from that moment on, um, she she sort of stumbles her way into becoming this symbol of rebellion. Um, and it's Peta who, uh, the night before they go into the into the arena, uh, Peta says, "I don't. I'm really worried because I don't want to lose my identity in there. Um, and I wish that there was some way that I could show everybody that the Capitol doesn't own me." And and Katniss feels horrible because she's like just she just wants to survive she's totally willing to accept the fact that she's going to kill Peta. right and and she's just going to go along with the rules as they are and Peta's the one that's actually trying to find a way to assert his own agency yeah and she's not even looking to do that 
know? No, not and not. It's not until Rue. It's not until Rue dies that she um, realizes that that she wants to. I mean, she she becomes inspired by by Peta's words. Yeah, and it, it, like you said, it, she kind of stumbles into it. Whereas both Gail and Peta, and even Hamish, and later on you find out Senna, like they they all seem to be actively trying to do something. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but she ends up being the best one at it, just accidentally in a lot of ways. Yeah. So so how does that make you feel about her as a character? It, if it wasn't for the moment with Rue and the moment with the berries, you'd almost be annoyed that she's the centerpiece of this. I agree. <laughs> I think. But those two moments where she has that awakening and she is, especially with the berries, she's being really actively subversive as to what the expectations are, whereas almost entirely before she's just gone along with what's happening and it's only her attempts to survive or what's driving. You know, it's just survival instinct. Right. Uh, and that one, it is survival instinct to a degree, but she could have just let Peter die and it would have been survival instinct still. You know, she's making a much more proactive decision as to how she wants this to play out and trying to manipulate the situation into her favor. There's yeah. a, a, a passage uh, in the first third of the book that seems to, I think, sort of illustrate how much of a blank slate she even views herself um, until the games start, basically. So it says... She reminded me of why I'm here, not to model flashy costumes and eat delicacies, but to die a bloody death while the crowd urges on my killer. And at that point, she's still anticipating her own death, and she's viewing her killer, not that she actually has the potential to be an agent in that situation. She's the victim. Yeah, I mean, she she does, uh, when she's being interviewed in the very beginning, and um, and Caesar asks her, uh, what you know? What did Prim say to you before you know the last time you saw her? And she says, "I told her I was gonna, I was gonna try to win." She told me to win. And I told her I'm gonna try. And I, I, there, so, um, yeah, she sort of toys with this idea that maybe she could win, um, but it seems like a long shot until like pretty far into the games. Then she starts to think, you know, I'm gonna, I really want to try to win this thing. It's it's after Rue dies. I well, think. it's after it's announced that she could win with Peta too. Yeah. But she she thinks I'm gonna I'm gonna do like I'm gonna I'm gonna give it my but best shot now. Both and- her and Peta there, uh, Collins really makes them come out of this without looking like barbarians <laughs> because it's a very a right. very delicate dance that's done about how they succeed. Uh, yeah, they are very fortunate. <laughs> yes, well, and, well, and like her, uh, so Katniss's kills are um, the tracker jackers take out at least two, I think it is right, which. Mm-hmm is, she, yes, she drops the tagger daggers, but she's not, you know, doing any stabbing or anything. And then the instant reaction after Rue dies, where it's almost, um, you know, it's not a conscious choice by Katniss. This is purely right, and it's almost, right, and it's almost, I mean, the, she, at that point, uh, I mean, it's, it's like defense, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's not hunting anybody. She's going there to try to save Rue, and in the heat of the moment, um, yeah, it's a total reaction. And then the, th- the third one is Mercy. <laughs> you know, she she kills yeah. Kato Kato for Mercy. So even though well, she shoots him in the hand and he f- and he falls into the thing. We talked about we talked a little bit about this when we talked about um about what's it called uh, Tangled and how uh, Tangled's mom falls out of the out of the tower and then turns into dust. Um, and there's this, I, I think it's hard for, in popular culture, for us to see our uh, heroes as cold-blooded killers. Mm-hmm. 
Unless, I mean, there are some heroes. Obviously, that are yeah, like there, that. there are certainly some genres <laughs> where that's the whole point. Yeah, right. But and especially in this in this uh, target group. Yeah, but uh, it's. I mean, she is the protagonist of this, and we are, as an audience, are supposed to be horrified that they're being put into the situation. I remember after the movie came out, I I can't remember where it was, but someone on some form said something like, "I went with you know my wife to see this Hunger Games movie because everyone was talking about it." And we we had to leave because how could anyone like view children doing those things to each other as entertainment? And it's like, well, congratulations for grasping the basic premise. <laughs> you know, the basic theme know. of this, this novel is that you're supposed to be horrified, by it, but it is this very delicate dance that's being done about one of the themes is a condemnation of this, but it is being presented to us as entertainment to yeah. watch Katniss and Peeta survive uh, within the Hunger Games, and we're supposed to be appalled at the barbarism that the capital is displaying in putting this on. But at the same time, we're consuming this as popular culture. Yeah. It's the same, it's the same kind of debate that went around and, and um, thought that I was having when uh, gladiator came out, Mm -hmm. which is this film about uh, like, Oh, how horrible all those ancient Romans. And they would put people in these situations that would, they would um, entertain themselves by watching people kill each other. Um, and it's obviously not the same thing, but it does. It should give you pause and think. Hmm. I mean, that's why I said at the beginning. I, I, I have a hard time like saying I enjoy this book, uh, but it is gripping. I mean, it's it's hard to put it down once you're once you're into it, uh, and it goes by really fast. And um, but at the same time, it it should be it should make you think about. Um, about that. And it's, and it's a tricky situation that Collins puts you in. Um, and I hope that when people are reading it, that they think about that, but I don't know. I don't know how many people do. Do you two know the, the story of how she came up with the premise? I, well, there's a, there's a Japanese manga that's called battle, battle Royale. Is it it's essentially Korean? the same story. Is it Japanese? Or or is it Korean? I'm not sure. No, there's a manga story well, she, that's called battle Royale. That's essentially the same story, right? But she has said that she had never heard of that until the, this book was about to be published. And someone said, it sounds a lot like that. And she asked her publisher, what's that? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this, I was going to say, this isn't a case of, I don't feel like it's a case of ripping off, but there are, you can see a lot of similar or, or uh, simultaneous evolution in other forms of entertainment mm-hmm. that, that align with a lot of the themes that she's playing with in this. But Andrew, yeah, is, there, is there something beyond? Is there another story? Yeah, yeah Andrew, is there yeah, another yeah. story? She's, she's got a specific story where she was watching TV and flipping through channels, and she ended up flipping between a teen, like, survivor-type show, um, so a teen reality TV show, and um, a documentary with war footage. Uh-huh. And so she... And those started getting kind of mixed in her mind, and it became the idea of what if, what if the entertainment, the reality TV was teens doing combat yeah well and i and and it evolved from yeah there. and there's so many things that you could say um you know predate this that have similar ideas going on and elements of you know some short stories that every almost everyone has to read in high school at some point the lottery and the most dangerous game like you just combine those two and yeah yeah you have a lot of the premise of this um there's other cultural things like katniss is very similar to robin hood in a lot of ways that yeah uh she's presented in this one and the the icon that she becomes against the standing government so i think there's interesting connections that can be made um but as with so many other for you know pieces of popular culture it's not so much 
how original is it, but how well is it being presented and how well is the story being told? And I think the story is pretty well told uh, in this novel. And, and to her credit, I don't feel like Collins is, I don't feel like the, as violent as this book is, I don't feel like it's gratuitous. Um, I don't feel like she revels in it. And when they made the film also, and that was my biggest concern with the film is it was just going to be, you know, like, oh my gosh, look how cool all of this killing is. And, um, I thought that they handled it pretty tastefully. I mean, I think she does too. Um, there is this kind of, uh, fortunate, uh, I mean, Katniss is, Katniss is very fortunate in that pretty much everybody kills each other off. And when she does happen to kill people, it's either, um, a total instinctive reaction to kill somebody who just killed Rue, who is the most sympathetic character in the book. Well, and someone who was about to kill her too. Like obviously this right. would kill her. Yeah. Um, or, you know, and it's, it's Cato, which is a, a mercy killing oh. after she did, it, it, you know, shoot him in the hand, which caused him to fall into the dogs. And she had tried to kill him before, but he had his uh, super armor on. So anyway, I, I, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what my final take on this is. There are moments where I think this is, it's crazy that we're, we're even reading this and, and, you know, we find this entertaining. Um, and there are other times where I think, no, I think it's, I think it's worth it to, you know, go through the processes as long as I'm kind of conscious of what's going on. I don't know. I go back and forth in my head. Like sometimes I'm just totally repulsed by the Hunger Games and other times I think, uh, it's, it's, it's just fascinating and worth thinking about. And at least they're not real people killing each other. (laughs) Well, and I think she does a good job of creating enough of a distance in the, the dystopian future that she's made that, you can um, read it and you know get swept up in the story, but at the same time, there's uh, I think a fair amount of social commentary about where we are yeah. presently in our entertainment industry that is supposed to invite us to stop and think. Um, I, I think she rides that line fairly well, where you're not beat over the head with the commentary, but it's there when you start to look for it. Yeah, I just I've, and this is this is why this is, book is so challenged. Uh, as being targeted to like you know children, it's a, it's labeled a children's book. It was a children's book of two thousand eight, um, but it has extremely um, it's it's very complicated, and um, and it takes a lot of. I mean, I think it, it takes a certain level of maturity to be able to read it and and to be able to think about these things, or at least to you know. This is not the book that you would give to your nine-year-old kid and say, "Hey, uh, I heard this is good. Go read it." <laughs> um, I, you know, it's the kind of book that you would want to talk to your kids about. I, I think a lot. Yeah, I'd say it's probably along the lines of where I'd put. Uh, like everyone had this discussion about the fourth Harry Potter book, where yeah. whereas the first three Harry Potter books are much more. You know, you know I, I'd be perfectly fine with you know a younger child reading those first three, but that fourth one starts to get into some of the more serious themes that Rowling was building towards. And it all comes to a head in that one. And people were saying, well, is this one okay for my kid that's been reading Harry Potter and loves them to read this one? And like I said, I think as long as you're having those conversations with them and, uh, maybe even before and after, <laughs> you know, the, uh, they're, they're engaging with these narratives. I, th- I, th- I think it would be okay, but it is something that should give you more pause than just handing them the first Harry Potter book. Yeah. I, I think, in the end, I mean, the word that comes to mind is like intentionality and sort of thinking about what's going on. And I think sometimes we just assume if something's labeled that it's for children, then we just say, oh, great. Yeah, well, then go for it, you know. <laughs> um, and 
and there there's a lot to be said for you know being intentional being intentional in the way that we consume stuff even stuff that's sort of labeled as kind of mass you know popular culture stuff uh there's a lot to think about well, and um yeah i think i think it becomes the discussion around it gets dominated by the violence and you know the idea of these hunger games but i think even from the very beginning there's some very uh intentional commentary that's happening about uh, the comparison between the opulence of the capital and the poverty yeah. of, of the districts and um, how the people in the capital can be so completely unaware of what's going on. And also, I think there's some commentary that's happening with how um, people in the districts can just come to accept their lot. Um, yeah. And that this kind of massive uh, disconnect between the, the wealthy and the poor can become accepted as um, how the world should be just because it is. So getting back to Katniss, <laughs> that was like a long, <laughs> was a long talk about uh, not about Katniss Everdeen. Yeah. Um, and so here's some more about not Katniss Everdeen. Um, <laughs> I think Katniss is, I just think she's a really interesting character because of what we were saying before, how um, she, she, for most of this novel, seems to be kind of pushed in in certain directions. She's not weak, um, but she's she's definitely reluctant. She's not like a freedom fighter from the beginning. Gail is the one who, in the beginning, says we could run away. We could just run away into the woods and 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 you know leave all this craziness behind. Which makes you wonder, you know, how many what else is going on in the rest of the world outside of this? Mm-hmm. Um, there's this mysterious District 13. What? that was apparently destroyed. I have not read the third book, so I don't know. <laughs> but um, anyway, I, I think I think a lot of, and this is, this is absolutely a theme that we've seen across pretty much every story that we've covered so far, um, is that the thing that makes this character great is the, uh, the people that are around her. And there would be no story if it weren't for uh, PETA, and Gail and that triangle when they're in the cave and she's starting to have feelings for him the first time that she kisses him and she's like, I liked, I like that. But she still is, <laughs> the first she still doesn't know what her feelings are for Gail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she sees Gail as kind of like a brother and, but she, she is so oblivious because it's obvious to a reader that Gail is I in know. love with Katniss and it's obvious to a reader that PETA is in love with Katniss, but she's kind of la di da. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta go survive yeah. the Hunger Games. Obviously, she has other things on her plate besides teenage romance. Yeah. So, but uh, I mean, with the, if there's no Peta, if there's no Gale, if there's no Rue, if there's no Haymitch, if there's no Cinna, there's all of these other people play such a key role in this story. Um, that then I look back at Katniss and I think, I mean, she's a great. I, I think she definitely qualifies as a great character in a great story, which is why we're talking about her. Uh, but but it's hard to imagine this story without every single one of those other characters. Well, and she, I mean, we've said it now several times. Initially, she is not being proactive. Other, I mean, she volunteers in Prim's place, but then she's just along for the ride for, for a good chunk of this. And we get these moments of her kind of waking up and saying, I, I can make a choice that's different than what's expected with Rue and then with the berries at the end. When she shoots the apple out of the, out of the pig's mouth when they're training her is another moment that's like a really great moment for her where she says you know what, I'm tired of these people. And she thinks it's horrible. And she goes, and she goes in her room and cries forever because she thinks they're going to kill her or kill her family. Um, and then they give her a great, uh, great score. 
because of her spunk or something. Um, and then, and then she's sort of back into like, okay, I'm just playing the games. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I just think she's, I think, I don't know exactly what I'm saying. I think what, one thing that I'm saying is I don't think that she's as awesome a character <laughs> in this book as maybe she's made out to be. Well, I, um, I mean, she is the star of the thing, and on the posters, she's the one, and everybody loves Jennifer Lawrence, and it's impossible for me to read this book without seeing all of the film characters and the, their places. And uh, But I think, I don't think that we, I, I know that I didn't realize the first time um, that I read through this, and even the first time I watched the film, uh, as much as I did today, how critical every single member of that supporting cast is and how, and I think that's a, a mark of a great writer who's able to make secondary characters that are absolutely fundamental to the story and to the development of everybody else. Well, I think we, I mean, we, we've touched on it with the romance also, but this is, I think one of her character traits is that she <laughs> doesn't decide what, how she wants things to turn out and work to make them happen uh, she reacts I, and she's very good at reacting. <laughs> like she is. she's, you know, once she's forced into a certain role, she does very well in that, but she's not a plotter. She's not a planner in the way that others are in this book. And in the future books, this is not a trait that goes away. And I mean, this is kind of like with the romance also, like these guys are saying to her, we're in love with you. And she's just kind of like, I don't know what I think, <laughs> you know, I don't want to have to make a choice. <laughs> Um, and, and that carries through the whole trilogy of books. Um, and I, similarly, it's not something I had really picked up on. Uh, I think in the third book, which you said, you've said you hadn't read, that's one thing. No, I, I think it's bothered me more in that book that she was not being, uh, the uh, proactive, uh, in a lot of that book. It's been a few years since I've read that book. So I may have some details wrong, but she's, after the second book, she's really messed up emotionally. Uh, understandably <laughs> so, right? I, I don't think that's unrealistic yeah. or problematic to say that she's had a really hard go of it and she's not sure how to react to the world around her, but she gets used as a figurehead by a lot of people around her. Um, right. And she's a pawn more than she is the the game player. And, and so... Oh, go ahead. We're gonna, we're, well, we're going to run out. We're running out of time. But... Um, I was just going to ask you, um, so as a, as far as like an arc is concerned, I mean, if you're looking at like the hero's journey or something, uh, so we have this girl and, uh, she gets called on a journey and she goes through a bunch of trials. She has, she a certainly guide. has her, <laughs> she has a guide, um, a bunch of gatekeepers. Uh, she has her symbolic death and resurrection. Um, but in, in a classic hero's journey tale, she would come back like illuminated, right? She's different and she's a light bearer for her people. Um, so how do you, how do you feel like Katniss falls into that? Does, does this follow that, um, that story as, or that model as closely as it seems on the face of it? I think she becomes that kind of light bearer, but again, it's accidental. <laughs> like it's not that she's really different. Uh, or, or that she wants that role. It's just kind of has happened to her. And she, she wants to recede back into the way life was like, she wants to just yeah. be back home with her mom and her sister. And she wants to go hunting with Gail. And it's not that she's changed, uh, in a way that makes her, you know, better. I mean, she looks, is she Luke Skywalker? Like, has she come back a Jedi? No, she, she, I, I, like, well, I was gonna say, I don't think she's like illuminated, like the skills that she used in there that way either. is are the skills she went in with. And yeah. in some ways 
the attitude she went in with is the attitude she comes out. She she knows she's in danger from the capital now. She knows the capital views her as a threat, but she doesn't want them to. <laughs> she wants. So this is the day that we lose every single one of our listeners yeah. who likes the Hunger Games. No, I just think it's really interesting because there are these moments. So um, the moment with the games, uh, the games keepers when she uh, or the game maker when she shoots the apple out of the thing. The moment with Rue. The moment with the berries. Like she has great moments where it seems like she's going to change. Uh, but she doesn't, and I I find it um, uh, kind of disappointing. She's not a character that you could take from this story and put in another situation and get as good a character. I, you out. would be plugging her into the Hawkeye role on Avengers. <laughs> this kind of cipher uh, who's... She's she's not <laughs> going to be the most proactive member of the team, but she'll do what she's called upon to do. Yeah, I, anyway, I just think it's really, really interesting. And like I said, I think we're running out of time, but, um, I, I mean, she's, I've seen, like, uh, you know, YouTube videos where Katniss Everdeen is set up as, like, the uh, model of the hero's journey, and I just don't think that she follows that uh, that model as closely as it seems that she does. In a way, she follows uh, it at it, first glance. She gets to the, the point that Frodo gets to in his return, where he's like, I can't go back. It's It will never be the same. And she wants to be able to go back more so than Frodo. Frodo's pretty much up front. Like, nah. <laughs> you know, I'm not going. Yeah, I can't go back to the She desperately wants and... to go back to the Shire and, you know, or District 12 and have it be the way it was before, where she can have a friendship with, with Gail. She can try and work out. Which is actually pretty miserable. Right. And But that's what she wants it to be. And she finds out that it can't. You know, she, it's not the most proactive change that's happened, but she's changed enough that. She can't go back to that because she's viewed as a threat by the capital, because she's viewed as a symbol for, um, you know, for the, the, the impoverished side, you know, the, and she finds out for the rebellion, you know, she's the symbol that uh, almost she doesn't want to be. Yeah. But she has that significance thrust upon her and she, again, she's great at reacting. So she's able to do what she has to do. I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting. And I am excited for, I don't know, a few months down the road when we talk about the, the next book in the series. Um, because I just, I think, uh, I think she's a really fascinating character. I actually really like her as a character, but I think that, uh, there's, there's just a lot to think about with her and we'll have to think about it more on a different podcast because we're out of time. Do you have any last words? Uh, no, I just kind of what we were saying. In some ways, it reminded me of Nobody Owens from the Graveyard Book, another children's book that has some pretty <laughs> <laughs> dark themes associated with it. Uh, I'd say that one is much is still more appropriate to give to a child than the Hunger Games, even though they're both called Hunger uh, or, or children's books. But in a lot of ways, Nobody Owens is similar in that he's kind of thrust into this role that he doesn't really understand or want. And it's as much the people around him who allow him to survive the, the experience that he finds himself in as him acting. He has a few moments kind of like Katniss where he, he becomes the, the arbiter of his own fate. Uh, but largely it's others around him that are taking care of him. And that's kind of where we are with Katniss too. I don't know. See now, now I'm not sure exactly because it seems like nobody, um, he really grows as a character. I mean, at the end when his mom lets him go and it's like, I'm going to go off into the world. It seems like there's a lot more growth for him as a character than with Katniss. I wonder if I feel like Katniss starts and finishes essentially like emotionally and, um, like in her evolution as a character, she starts and finishes at the same time. She just has more baggage at the end. Yeah. Because of her, because of her relationship with PETA, 
that's now complicated her relationship with Gale, and because of her having defied the the capital, and now Snow's mad at her, and she has to play this game. Um, but I, I, I just I can't shake this feeling that she's the same character on the last page as she is on the first, essentially. Yeah, I love that. I mean, obviously, nobody starts as a two-year-old. That's true. The context around her has changed, uh, but I think in in her heart, um, she's the same person, just with more, I don't know, emotional baggage or something. Yes. (laughs) That wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can subscribe to The Protagonist in iTunes. We would encourage you to leave a review there if you like what you hear. It doesn't maybe seem like much to you, but it really helps us out to have those um, ratings in iTunes. Uh, and you can actually do that in iTunes on your computer or in your uh, in the iTunes app on your iPhone if you have one. Um, you can find links to everything we've talked about in this episode along with a list of all our show notes at protagonistpodcast.com. Uh, if you want to suggest a character for us to talk about uh, or if you have comments about the podcast, you can send us an email at feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. You can find us at Twitter. Uh, we are at protagonistpod. Um, and each of us is on Twitter. I'm Todd K. Mack. He's at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. Um, and you can like our Facebook uh, fan page called Protagonist Podcast. And you can support us if you'd like to um, uh, support us financially. You can go to uh, patreon.com slash protagonist. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash protagonist. And you can give us a buck. And we have a huge announcement. We have a patron. We have a Patreon patron. Who is our first patron? Our face pa- first patron is my dad and my mom. <laughs> uh, they're awesome. And we want to thank know, them. Their money spends as well as anyone's. It does. Uh, and I actually wanted to say, so we have said that anybody who um, will give us $5 a month uh, can choose an episode of their choosing. And my dad has a request. So are you ready to hear it? Yes. This, I, I have no idea. He wants us to do he wants us to do a special episode and talk about the hero's journey in detail. Okay. Uh, so that's coming up. You can, um, if you would like to hand pick an episode for us to talk about, um, then you can go to patreon.com, P A T R E O N.com slash protagonist and, uh, give us a little bit of money and we would really appreciate it. And, uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. That that podcast goes was going strong during your your discussion. It's, it's going crazy. <laughs> it, it is a creepy sound. I I'm really starting to like listen for words in it. <laughs>